Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and this is today's episode 168 of our Truth Tidbits as we continue reading through the scriptures this year. I want to read today in Romans chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 15 through 19 today. Beginning in verse 15, So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. I want to stop right there for today. In the next few episodes, we will take several scriptures at a time as we enter this next section. But this is somewhat foundational for the next section that we're going to be discussing in Romans chapter 1. So we need to understand that verses 15 through 17, which we have spent the last few episodes discussing in detail about the gospel of God bringing salvation to all who will believe and how God's rightness or righteousness is revealed in that those scriptures form the backdrop, in essence, for the next three chapters, for this chapter and the next two chapters. Because in these three chapters, Paul is going to identify the great need and why we must hear the good news, why we desperately need the good news. And he's going to lay out the case for that in several different ways here. And we're going to see that as we go through. All who will believe get the benefit of salvation. All who will believe. He's going to talk about different categories of people that all are in need of salvation. And anyone in any of these categories that will truly believe in Jesus, that will call out to him, that will ask him to forgive them of their sins and believe that he is the atoning sacrifice, paid the debt in full for their sins, accept him as their Lord and Savior, accept him and believe upon him in his atoning work, they will be saved. They will have the benefit of that power of God of salvation that has been promised. The first three chapters will lay out specific categories and show how each one of these needs Jesus. So chapter 1, verses 18 through 32, gives us the first of those categories, and we'll get into more of that in the next episode or two. But here he'll be talking about general sin of all kinds, those that are immoral, those that are idolaters, all those who are leading other people astray, even those who 
have nothing but the creation itself to testify of God, the creator. And that's all they may have. You may think about some that might live in, in a jungle somewhere or way up high in, a, in an area where people, other people and missionaries haven't gone. And they may not know the Bible. They may not know anything about God from the scriptures, but they have things that have been revealed to them that testify that can cause them to call upon the name of God and God will meet them where they are. So we're going to look at that in detail, but I really want to focus today on verse 18 and 19 because verse 18 speaks of the basic condition and fundamental basis of all who do not believe in Jesus Christ. All of those, if you'll remember, though we talked about the subset earlier, how we are, in essence, like in the Venn diagram, how we are a subset. We are in the world, but we're not of the world. Yet there's a greater majority in that set of those who are in the world and of the world. And so Paul is going to become one who will inform us and address those kinds of people to us in different categories and in all different ways. But he's talking about those who do not believe in Christ here. He says here that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. We don't always think about that, and it's not always pleasant. But the truth of the matter is that God has wrath against the sons of disobedience. We're told this in several places. Paul writes it in several of his epistles and speaks about the truth that those that reject Jesus Christ are under the wrath of God. Sinful mankind is under the wrath of God. Let me show you one place in the Old Testament. In Psalm 7, verse 11, it says this, God is a just judge, and God is angry with the wicked every day. So David here is establishing that God is just. Even when he is angry with the wicked, there is a just and righteous reason for that. If you go on down in Psalm chapter 7, you can read in verse 14, for instance, where he says, Behold, the wicked brings forth iniquity. Yes, he conceives trouble and brings forth falsehood. So in essence, he's telling us here, part of the basis for God's just anger against the wicked is that they're doing these things. They're bringing forth iniquity. They are, they are conceiving lies and trouble for people. This is what Paul is talking about here in Romans chapter 1 when he says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, against all who are 
living ungodly lives. They are totally contrary to his nature, to his character, not like him at all. And those who, all who are unrighteous, they are not living in right relationship or in right dealings with other people. They are not representing God correctly. They are cheating and stealing and lying and, and doing all of these things that are totally unrighteous and ungodly. He goes on and he talks about the, the wrath that is revealed against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men or of mankind who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. In other words, these are people who are holding down or keeping back the truth. They are refusing to let the truth be known. They are refusing to let the truth be told. Why are they doing this? Because God has shown and made clear the truth to them, but yet they are willfully holding it back. In other words, God's made it plain to see. It's not hard to see. It's obvious and deep in even their very knower, they know it's true. God made us that way. He gave us something precious called a conscience. John writes a little bit about it in John chapter 1, verse 4. It says this, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. In essence, he's talking about conscience here, that word light of men. It can refer to the conscience, that distinguishing factor for good versus bad or good versus evil. It refers to an inward moral compass or an inward moral judging faculty. It's that ability to discern. I want to read in Titus chapter 1, verse 15 and 16 for a moment. It says in Titus 1, verse 15, To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but in works they deny, deny him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, Paul writes this. Let me read verse, uh, verse 1 and 2. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. This is talking about people who have rejected the Lord, refused to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit of God and receive his conviction, and therefore their conscience has now been seared. Paul is telling us in these places about those who have rejected the Holy Spirit's work on their conscience 
rendering their conscience defiled, no longer pure or innocent as it was originally made by God because they have seared it. They have rendered it insensitive. It, the word means to cauterize. So if you were to cauterize something, you sear it so that it no longer feels. It, it has become callous. It has been rendered insensitive. You see, the Holy Spirit will work upon the conscience of a person. That's why people realize, we realize when we've done wrong. We realize there is a moral compass inside that tells us we messed up. And we realize that. And when we are sensitive to the Holy Spirit of God that will bring that to bear on our hearts and on our minds, in our conscience, that will let us know we've messed up, the purpose of the convicting work of the Spirit of God is to draw us to repentance. It's to draw us to call out to the Lord and ask for forgiveness of that thing and make things right with God. Ask God to wash us free and clear of all that sin and restore us and bring us into favor with Him. That's the purpose of the convicting work of the Spirit of God. And it occurs upon the conscience in that moral compass that's inside, so to speak, when we have done wrong. But if we refuse to listen to that prompting of the Holy Spirit of God over and over, and we resist it, we reject it, we renounce it, we won't have anything to do with it, then that conscience becomes seared. It becomes cauterized. And it is no longer sensitive to the Spirit of God and has become totally defiled. Now, these people that are in this condition are under the wrath of God, which is why the wrath of God is revealed against them. Because, notice this, in John chapter 3, I want to begin reading in verse 16, but we're not going to stop there. Let's start in verse 16 of John 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Sounds a lot like Romans 1, 16 and 17, doesn't it? Verse 17 of John chapter 3. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. So in other words, God is telling us here that he didn't come into the world to condemn us. We're already condemned. If you'll remember in the last episode we spoke about, it's as if there's we're on one side of a, of a territory, of a, an area, and God is on the other, and sin came in and washed the bridge out completely. There's no, there's no way to get from, from us to God. We can't build a bridge. 
There's a gulf there that we can't do anything about. And we're in need. We are standing on this side apart from God with no hope and no way to get to him. We're in need. We stand condemned before a holy God. We stand separated from a holy God with broken relationship. We can't fix it. We can't mend that gulf. We can't build the bridge. Hallelujah. But God has done it on our behalf. And that's what the gospel of God is all about. That's what the gospel that brings the truth about Jesus Christ. That is what the gospel is. It is that good news. Praise God. But Paul is talking here in this particular section now about those who reject that. Those who have resisted the Holy Spirit of God. Their conscience is seared. And they are now willfully and knowingly holding back the truth. They don't even want to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And they don't want anybody else to hear it either. They're holding back the truth. Their conscience even is trying to tell them the truth. Their conscience even is trying to tell them that they are wrong. And they are headed for hell. And they are under the wrath of God. And yet they push it down. They push it down. They don't want to hear it. They're not going to hear it. They suppress and hold back the truth rather than having a sensitive conscience to the work of the Holy Spirit. I want to draw from an example in the Old Testament from King David. I want to look at 1 Samuel chapter 24, and I'm going to read the first few verses. Now it happened when Saul had returned from following the Philistines that it was told him, saying, Take note! David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men on the rocks of the wild goats. So he came to the sheepfolds by the road where there was a cave, and Saul went in to attend to his needs. David and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave. Then the men of David said to him, This is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand, that you may do to him as it seems good to you. And David arose and secretly cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now it happened afterward that David's heart troubled him. Another version says David's heart smote him because he had cut Saul's robe. And he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David restrained his servants with these words and did not allow them to rise against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went on his way. And you can continue reading in that story and you'll see how David was able to tell Saul how he could have killed him, but he didn't, and that he's not after his life, even though Saul is after David's life. But the point is this. All David did was cut a little corner off of Saul's robe, and the heart, his heart, inside his conscience was smitten there was a realization in that moment 
that he had done wrong. And he received that. He was sensitive to the Holy Spirit of God and the Spirit of God moving upon him. Beloved friend, don't let your conscience get seared. God has made the truth known even in your knower, down deep in your conscience. God put inside of each and every one of us a moral compass, a moral judgment faculty that can discern and that distinguishes between right and wrong. And the Holy Spirit of God will convict us when we need it and when we've done wrong and when we need to learn not to do that again, when we need to be corrected, when we need to be reprimanded. He will move upon our conscience. Our conscience will let us know. God's made it plain. You can either choose to resist that and cauterize your conscience, sear it and defile it by rejecting the Holy Spirit and not being sensitive to him. Or you can have a sensitive conscience like David did. It reminds me, and I'm drawing to a close here with these final comments. It reminds me of a horse that is neck reined. Any trainer would tell you, any horseman or equestrian would let you, would tell you, and any equestrian would confirm that a horse that is neck reined is a wonderful thing. Because when they, when a horse becomes neck reined, what that means is that the rider or the trainer, all they have to do is to lightly touch the neck of the horse in whatever direction they want the horse to go. Just lightly touch it. They don't have to yank on the bit and bridle. They don't have to to beat the horse because it's rebellious or it's stubborn and it's got its own mind and its own way. Oh no, a neck reined horse is super sensitive, sensitive and submissive so that when they sense that tiny touch of the, the rein upon their neck, they will move in the direction that their master is wanting them to go. They'll receive that. They are sensitive to that. May we be sensitive. May we be neck reined, so to speak. May we be sensitive with a pure conscience. I want to close out by reading a few final scriptures here. One is found in Romans chapter 13, verse 5. And in Romans chapter 13, verse 5, it says this, He's talking about God's ministers being there for good. If they, if someone does evil, then they're there to deal with that evil, etc. And he goes on in verse 5 and he says this, Therefore you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. In other words, what he's saying here is, you don't only need to obey the law, for, whether it's the speed limit or whatever it may be that's a good law that's that's established rightly. He says, you know, those ministers, those laws are there for good, those that are established for righteousness and 
the ministers of God, be they perhaps a highway patrolman or um, a police officer or whatever it is. They're ministers. He says, but you don't need to obey them just so that you don't get in trouble. In other words, you don't want to just do the right thing so that you can stay out of jail. You need to do the right thing for the right thing because it's the right thing to do. You need to do it so you can go to sleep at night. You need to do it for conscience sake. He's saying here, so that you can sleep good at night, knowing that you did right, because it was the right thing to do, not just because you didn't want to get caught. Conscience is a very important thing. Do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. I also want to look at 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 through 17 says this, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. So he's talking here about having a good conscience so that you're living a lifestyle that's righteous. And if people want to try to say evil against you, they have no real basis in it. And you are suffering for doing good. But notice this. It says, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give the answer for the hope that is in you. And that's how we have a good conscience is that our hearts are sanctified to the Lord. Hallelujah. The value of a good conscience is priceless, contrasted greatly with those that Paul speaks of here in Romans chapter 1 that have had their defiled, their conscience defiled, that have had their conscience seared and become totally unsensitive. These that are have this seared conscience, even though God made plain to them the truth about himself, they are in willful rebellion underneath, standing in and under God's wrath against them. But the good news is that any and all who will believe, just like Paul told us in Romans 1, 16 and 17, the gospel of God will bring salvation to all who will believe, even out of this category. And he can purge their conscience and get it clean. I want to close with this final scripture. In Hebrews chapter 9, I want to just read verse 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Maybe you realize that your conscience has been guilty and has become defiled. Maybe you realize that you have resisted the Lord and you fall in that category where you've been living ungodly, unrighteously, Maybe you have been suppressing the truth because you didn't want to hear it. You didn't want to let it up. 
You didn't want to uh, let it out to really do its job. You didn't want to hear the gospel of God. But now you realize and you're listening and you are allowing the Holy Spirit to convict you and you are becoming sensitive again. Hallelujah. The good news is that God will reach you if you truly believe. If you'll call out to him, God will reach you. And this blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for us, hallelujah, it can cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. There is hope, and it's in the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that will save anyone who will believe. I pray that that includes you. I pray that this is a blessing to you. And Lord willing, you can join us again for future episodes of Truth Tidbits. God bless you today in Jesus' name. Amen.